giving me a hard time. He's been nice till now, but I didn't get my half. Oh, okay. Aww. That's why I'm drinking this. Diet Coke. All right. Hi, Sharon Alcoholic. Happy birthday, everybody. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I love that we celebrate everything here almost. Um, almost. And I love that, um, you know, we were talking today, I have my family of blood and my family of understanding. And you are my family of understanding. Thank you for being here this weekend. Thank you. I needed you. So too bad. I got you got me. So um <laughs> And I think, you know, they used to say, welcome home, and all that kind of, I never, no, sorry, not home to me, but um, I wouldn't be, I didn't even care for California because they had hours. They, they, you know, they closed the bars at two, and I was panicked, always panicked. And from April to um, July, I was homeless in, in L.A. because I, I couldn't get a job. Oh, my goodness, I could I cocktail waitress for about, I don't know, an hour, and I couldn't remember where the drinks were going. And I'm, like, in the middle of the dance floor with these drinks, and I'm kind of panicked because I don't even know what's happening. And the owner came over and whispered in my ear, we'll pay you for tonight, but please don't come back. And that's how um, how viable I was as a human being at the end of my drinking. And then, uh, you know, this girl, Chris, the one that, was my call, the one that was in the bar that had the big book and her court card being signed. Uh, I remember somebody wrote Donald Duck on her court card. I thought, man, that's going to blow it. You know, when I look back and understand, I didn't know what was going on at the time. They are passing it down the bar to sign her court card. Um, but, I, but Chris was moving out, and she said I could stay at her, um, her house, her apartment, while she was moving out. And I was really sick then. I had um, I had bad pancreatitis. Um, sometimes I'd be so sick, all I could do was sip on beer to just to keep something going. Um, and I knew that when I would I would be passed out because I was drinking alone by now, and I would come to in this little black and white TV. There'd be a guy on TV. He sold cars called Cal Worthington. Okay, a few of you know him. But he would, like, you know, sell these cars. It was always about 2 o'clock he came on TV. So it's like I, I hear his voice, and I go, I get to the liquor store. And it was a block. It seemed like a block, a long block away. And I was so paranoid leaving that apartment going out that I remember having to hide, like, behind garbage cans because there were people that were out there. And I was just whacked. And I drove by that apartment a couple of years ago, and it was two doors down from the apartment. But it was the longest quest at almost 2 a.m. to go get my booze. And, you know, that was so, that was all I could do. That was my effort for life. And each one of us have come to this brand new life and have come home. And I like Robert Frost when he talks about home. He says, home is the place when you have to go there. They have to take you in. <laughs> so we have ha- had to take you in. They had to take me in. They couldn't not take me in. And I, I love that because everybody here, everybody here had a shot. Um, so I'm going to talk tonight about one of my favorite lines in the big book, and it's on page 77. And it took me 
quite a while to find it. You know how they sneak things in the book at night. You know, it's just, they still do it. Still amazes me. And when I was seven years sober, I took my birthday cake and we give cakes from a sponsor and uh, the sponsor, you know, you blow out the candles. It's always at our meeting and we have sometimes 19 birthdays, but we just kind of whip through them. But the sponsor gets to present the cake, which is really nice. And we, I took my cake from my sponsor and then I stood at the podium and something happened to me I didn't expect to happen. I, ha- I was shot through with some sort of a feeling, top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And it w- I think it was just love. I was just shot through this with this great feeling. And I had never really felt myself inside all the way through. It always stopped here. It stopped there. You know, this is, this is my hurt from the past. Let's get stuck here. It's like the inside of me um, had been unblocked for a moment to the source that is. And it was fabulous. And I just thought, I want more of that. You know, it's <laughs> it was better than anything I ever drank. Um, and so I, I then it was shortly after that I I saw this on page seventy seven. I went, where did when did they put that in there? <laughs> and it's very simple. It just says our real purpose. Oh, there it is. I've been looking my whole life for my my purpose. My whole life, our real purpose. Not the fake one, not the sometimes one. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves. That takes work. We're alcoholics. Fitting ourselves takes a lot of daily work. To be of maximum service. Not once in a while. Not when it's inconvenient. Not just because you like that person. You know, oh, well, this is on, you know, I'm watching the football game. Maximum service. Service. That means helping somebody, something, doing something for somebody other than yourself. To God, first of all, and the people about us. It doesn't say just alcoholics. I used to just, oh, I'm only going to be nice to alcoholics, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, literally, I didn't, I didn't get that world out there at all. I, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't nice. I just didn't care, really. I just cared about, when I started to care, I cared about you. I cared about being here. There was a man in our group, the man who told me to take off my backpack when he invited me for longer was a man named Chuck Nesbitt. And he was one of those old timers that watched. He watched, you know, what's she doing? What's she writing down? And I had this little spiral notebook with a list and everybody that gave me a ride, anybody who gave me cigarettes, somebody that gave me some money, um, then people that let me sleep on their floor, I had all of that that I had locked down. And he saw me writing this intently, you know, standing by the wall, trying to make it all right, because I'm paying you back because I always go. I never stay. I always go. And I'm going to pay you back because you've been very nice to me at a time in my life where I had nothing. And I was, you know, this much of an ember of life left. And you were, you kept feeding me kindling, you know, feeding me kindling. And that night... Chuck saw the little list and he fed me some kindling because what he said, someday, Sharon, you're going to have a car with driver's license, registration, insurance, all in the same name. Uh, Why did he say that, you know? And you're going to be able to give rides. You're going to have a couch you're going to let a newcomer sleep on. 
you're going to find out somebody's starting a new job, and you're going to take them out to your car after the meeting, and you're going to take the cleaner bags out of the trunk of those clothes you're giving her to wear that have been cleaned and hand them to her because you know she needs the clothes for a new job. I thought, how does he know about the cleaner bags? Because his wife had done that for me when I had to go to that court back in Palm Springs. His wife had done that for me. And, and he said, and someday you're going to have a little extra money and that newcomer goes to the bathroom, you can stick it in her purse. That's the way we want to be paid back. Pass it on. So he just basically said, put that list away. You know, we, we want you to pass it on. And he gave me a chunk of dignity back because he knew I could do it. And that, um, that was a turning point for me, too, because somebody that I respected had faith in me. So I, you raised me here, and this is my, this is my home. This is where you are my people. Um, yeah, I, I had this, uh, I saw this in 19, um, in, in 2000, actually. I found this. It was in the grapevine. I don't even know. I, I found it in 2000. I don't know how old it is, but I gave it out as, as, a, as a gift card one year um, at one of my birthday parties they had for me. And I just, I love it. And if you listen to it, it's, it's who we are. And it says, AA is a spirit. It cannot be touched nor can it be completely understood. It is as wide as the world, yet small enough to fit snugly into the hearts of women and men. It has brought light where only darkness dwelt. It has given hope to the hopeless and help to those who yearned in despair. It has nourished forgiveness in those that knew no pity. It has given strength to the weak and humility to the strong. It has spurred to higher goals those that strove for nothing. It has taught patience to the hurried and action to the lazy. To youth, it has given vision, and to the aged, promise. To the lonely, companions, and to the restless, rest. To the sick, it has been a doctor, and to the dying, it has revived the desire to live. It has no judgment against the unteachables, nor has it praise for those who learn. To the outcast, it has been a family. And to the child, childless, it has given children. To the ignorant wisdom and to the wise tolerance, it has given to all men and women that which is most precious. It has given a love for truth with enough left over to share. I just think that's so beautiful. That's what we're sitting in the middle of. And, um, yeah. So, limitless load here. <laughs> I love that that phrase of the limitless load where finally the prospector finds the gold he's been searching for his whole life. And he, he, you know, with the last piece of ounce, the last strength, he picks up his pick and he puts it in the ground to get this gold out that he's been looking for. And then he gets to mine it for the rest of his life because it's limitless and give every piece away. <laughs> I read that, it was like, Oh, really? <laughs> it just seemed like like so, so much. Um, so, yeah, maximum service, right? Maximum. And, and that is my real purpose today, and I, I, I try to live by that. And, and I don't get to judge who gets it. We all get grace. Grace is abundant. Grace is here for everyone. But 
you know, and I do it too. I have that black umbrella that sometimes I want to pick it up and it's got, you know, white paint on the top that says, no grace today. I'll put up my black umbrella and I'll stand there and let it fall all around me. Everybody else is getting it, but poor self-pity me under my black umbrella that says no grace, so I'm not getting any. And then all I got to do, though, when I'm ready is put my hand out. And, and that's, and then you're there. But I still have alcoholism. So I must adhere to spiritual principles for me to continue to grow and change. I don't like being bored. If you're bored, you're boring. I, I mean, I just don't like being bored. I don't like not being useful. I don't like, I like isolating once in a while. I'll, I'll tell you that. You know, every, I tell my girls, don't call me. I need a day off. And, you know, I'm going to binge watch something I like. And I'm, you know, in bed and the dog and the cat were all there like, oh, good, we, mom is home, you know. And they're like just doing their thing, which is nothing, you know, keeping me warm. And then by about noon, it's like, no one's calling. No one is calling me. So I, I need daily contact. I'm that kind of a person, that's for sure. So maximum service. Um, you know, before I go any further, I want to. My mother would always say to me, "Were you well received?" <laughs> and she's in in heaven now, and I hope she knows that every day we're we're well received. And but my, she always say, "Remember your propers." I think that's a southern term. And she was from Massachusetts, so I don't know where she got it. But uh, she said, "You know, just make sure you know your propers." And I want I want to thank the committee. You know, I want to thank, where's, where's Carol? Boy, she just, I'm, my refrigerator's full. Um, there she is back there. Um, and thank you for picking me up and keeping me entertained in a two-hour drive. And everything that happened and being there with your mother and when your mother, we got the call about your mom, Brian, I felt very privileged to be with somebody with a life-changing event. And... Yeah, you know, it's it, it was it, you showed dignity and you showed principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, you came back to us so we could, you guys could all, you know, love him into some sort of health again. Um, so thank you, and thank you for everybody who's been kind to me and funny to me and poked at me, and you know, <laughs> sitting here, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> You know, and the coffee and all that. Thank you, Mike, for that. And just, you know, everybody here that had anything to do in the hugs and the love, um, it's not taken lightly. You could smell me in the room. Alcohol, when you walked in, I smelled like alcohol. I detoxed in the rooms. I had nowhere to go. And um, I love that smell. I don't get it much anymore. I don't know about you guys, but... I, if I get on an elevator and it's crowded and it's a Monday morning, I'll, oh, somebody's been partying and it's like smells so good. I miss that smell. So, and you know, we dress up and we take care and, and then sometimes people don't know. I had a girl come up, it was like maybe 10 years ago. She said, oh, I smell alcohol. Someone in here has been drinking. And I went, honey, this is AA. Let's go find them. You know, it's, she just, and I think I was telling, I was thinking, I was telling Steve, we haven't seen, I haven't had, you know, been in a meeting where there's been a seizure in a while. That was always so exciting. It would disrupt the speaker, and it was just all so exciting. 
So I guess we have a high-class bunch here coming in. I'm not sure, but but I guess I have to go read Dr. Paul's acceptance again. Um, that's a funny story because Janet said to me, you go read page 449. And I was a couple of years sober and I was having trouble with something. And she said, go read page 449, Dr. Paul's acceptance. And so I was like, but I had a first, I had a second edition big book. And it's Joe's Woes. I don't know if you've ever read Joe's Woes, but it's about a dollar and he stole the dollar and then the dollar, the dollar from his wife. And I'm going, I don't see acceptance in this here. And she'd say, how's that going? Because you've got to read it for a couple of weeks here. And I go, oh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> it's like, ask questions, you know. And then one day, I don't know, maybe it was two years later, I got a third edition big book and there it was. I was like, oh my, I thought I was too stupid for AA and I didn't want you to know that. And uh, my girl Hilda has a meeting once a year. We have a Joe's Woes meeting once a year just to just to have fun, you know. So, so if you want to practice the principles in all your affairs, we're going to have to, you know, if you want to play the piano, you got to practice. There's very few savants in Alcoholics Anonymous when it comes to the principles. Um, that's the way I learn. That's the way I learn is, is I have to practice. I have to practice. I have to practice. And... You know, I remember some guy, um, I said, I, I remember my first lie that I told to an old timer. And it was like, oh man, that's Ramon. Ramon knows. Ramon knows everything. He would sit in the back of the room and we don't know what language he spoke really. It was a little of this and a little of that. But if you were going on and on and on your participation and just kind of had no, no end, he'd sit in the back of the room and you'd hear Ramon go, really? And then he'd go, well, and so Ramon speaks, sit down, you know. And I told Ramon this lie because I had mentioned I didn't get to tell my grandpa Wesley goodbye when he was dying and, you know, blocks away from Joe's place I was drinking at. And uh, I had this watch, interesting, interesting, because of this, I had this watch that looked like an antique. And people would say, oh, that's really beautiful. I said, oh, my grandpa Wesley gave it to me because I just had this, I had to have a connection with my grandpa. It was a lie. I felt guilty, all of that. So Ramon said something about my necklace. I said, my grandpa Wesley gave it to me. And, and then I walked by and I took two steps and I thought, I just lied to Ramon. He already knows. <laughs> so I don't know how many times I circled that room before the meeting and I walked by and and I think under his breath, I could hear him going, really? You know, <laughs> walking by, well, I don't know how many times I circled in and I said, Ramon, I got to tell you that was a lie. I've been telling this lie for years. And, you know, I just kind of spewed it all out. And he said, it's okay. You don't have to tell that lie anymore. And I remember sitting with somebody in a car and I started telling the story and I stopped myself midstream. I said, None of this is true. <laughs> and it was a girl I sponsored. I thought she'd go, well, you're fired and get out of the car. But um, didn't happen that way. Um, I've learned so much by, sponsor, by sponsoring, sponsoring people. My, watch out when you do your sponsor because it comes back. <laughs> comes back. I, Janet, I used to eat, I think it was carrots. Or something crunchy on the phone, and and then I got this girl Beth that 
kicked me at her first meeting. She was drunk. I'm trying to tie her shoes. She's like got shoelaces all over, and she's drunk. And she kicked me. And then, then she called me, and I was like, oh, really? Okay, all right, we'll do Beth. We'll try. And then I was talking on the phone to her, and I hear crunching. And I said, are you eating carrots? She said, no, apples. She was defiant and spoiled and had vodka rings on her big book. And But Beth and I started working together, and um, she was, I sponsored her for 39 years, and I said goodbye to her last year. Um, she was a fantastic, turned into a fantastic, beautiful human being and made her amends. Uh, went out, worked with her father in New Jersey, helped him with his factory at a factory. Uh, he got uh, retired, and she kept working out there. He moved to Kauai. He found out he had pancreatic cancer, so she moved to Kauai. He had bought a restaurant, and so she kind of inherited her father's restaurant and and worked there. And then Aniki just took the whole restaurant. The big hurricane took it down. It was gone. And uh, she said, do you know what to do? She said, I was standing in the middle of the rubble, and I heard a voice. We need nurses. And she says, probably the Red Cross calling, we need nurses. It was, <laughs> but she took it literally. <laughs> and she went back to school, and she ended up getting a master's degree in nursing. And she became um, moved to Santa Fe, became the head of a chemotherapy clinic in Santa Fe, for a metastatic breast cancer. And uh, two years ago, she got metastatic breast cancer. So the place that she had helped put together and ran was now the place that was treating her. And uh, she she was such a taker when I met her, spoiled little, little rich girl, and she turned into the biggest giver I've ever, I've ever known. And... Um, yeah. And then my other first girl I sponsored was a lady named Diane. Um, and she, she talked one night, she shared about stabbing her husband, and I just thought, ooh, you know. She was scary to look at because she never, ever smiled. She just looked at you. You could feel her across the room. And then one night she's talking to me and she said, I need a sponsor. Will you sponsor me? And I thought, not the stabber. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, it was, she scared me, really. And I had to give her some direction. She didn't call. And I, I had to get at the meeting. I wanted to do it around people just in case. Um, you ha if I'm your sponsor, you have to call me. And she said, okay. So the phone starts ringing at about midnight or one in the morning when she's done with the coffee shop. It's just, she'd say, hello, it's me. She never ever told me her name. Still to this day when she calls me, she doesn't live in town anymore. Hello, it's me. Uh, um, and she would say, I just left the coffee shop, went to the meeting, going home. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. And that was her check-in because she knew I was sleeping because she couldn't get vulnerable. And she came over to the house, and we were doing some step work, and I had to give her some direction I know she didn't like. And I turned around to get the coffee cups out of the cupboard, and I said, oh, my God, here it comes. Here's the knife. I know it's like, I just knew it was coming. And she turned out to be an amazing human being, and she lost all of her stuff, and she barely got out of the fire up in paradise last year. 
barely barely got out. I'm so glad she made it out because she's older and a little disabled, and her granddaughter went and got her, and they barely made it out. So, um, yeah, we're still in touch. And I that's just the beginnings of, of my years of sponsoring people, and I, I've learned along the way. I've learned about myself so much along the way. I've learned how to love deeply. Yeah, I told you my first third step, I thought I was gay. My sponsor was uh, hugging me and felt good, and I didn't know what that feeling was. And so I thought, I must be gay. I love you. She, you know, that's the way my computer didn't have the wires put together right. It was a little, it was scattered up there. But, um, but no, I've done so many third steps. And, in my father's cornfield in Iowa, I did a third step with a girl. It was really magical. And my dad, where he grew up, he wasn't there anymore. My grandpa lost the farm in the Depression. Or gambling, we're not sure. <laughs> That's my favorite Grandpa Wesley, so maybe he had an ism or two. We're not sure. Probably that he was my favorite, maybe, maybe. But we, we got to go there, and the man um, said that, you know, yeah, come in the house and look, and he kept the house just like it was And when my, my dad grew up there. And it was just a beautiful moment in a beautiful cornfield. And you know the corn talks. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, the corn talks to you. You can hear it grow. If you ever get lost in a cornfield, just don't panic because it gets scary. You can get lost. I mean, when you're a kid, you can go forever. I remember being lost in a cornfield. That was pretty scary, but um, I made it out. I'm here, so that's good. Um, so yeah, you have to. Um, you have to. I hate saying that. I have to be involved. I have to. Don Pretz. I don't know if any of you remember Don Pretz, but yeah, from Colorado, amazing man. He was one of my mentors, and um, he used to tell this story about a little boy whose mother was having another baby. You know, his family was going to have another baby and he was going to be left behind, he thought. You know, he was not, you know, maybe three, four, maybe five, I don't know, but he was old enough to understand there's somebody coming that will probably take his place. And he was pretty obsessed. That's what they thought, the parents, because he was obsessed with the baby in the mommy's tummy and he would talk to the baby and... You know, when it comes out, I gotta talk. We gotta have a talk. He's, you know, he's very insistent. When his little brother comes out, we're gonna have a talk. And so they were like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, not for a while. No pillows and you know, nothing around to hurt the little baby. And then don't leave him alone. And they had talked about it. So we don't know why he's so insistent, but he was. And so you know, they kind of didn't. Nothing really happened. And so they kind of kept him away. And then one morning, they hear him get up really early goes in the baby room at the crib and they're going <gasps> and they get up and they stand they thought let's just stand and listen to see what he wants what's going on you know if anything happens we're here and they heard him get his face right up to the crib you know right up to the bars of the crib and put his face through and talk to his brother and he says to his brother quick tell me about God I'm starting to forget and that's the way I feel when I sit with somebody who's new that's the way I feel, because it's such a beautiful gift that we get to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and have the opportunity to have this brand new life. And I feel like working, I don't want to forget. 
I'm a forgetter. I gotta come here and hear chapter five over and oh, oh yeah, that's right, there's hope. <laughs> I have a lot of time, but I'll be out in the world. I come in and sit down and go, <sighs> I just exhale and I hear chapter five and I go, oh yeah, there's hope. Like I don't know that, but coming and sitting with you, I feel it in my heart. It gives me the rejuvenation and the reminder of how lucky we are, that we are the lucky ones. So, I, you know, I have that forgetter, and I, I want to remember that that God is in all of this, all of this. Um, so, I, um, you know, I love that my, boy, there's a lot of, people say there's no muss in the big book. I said, hell, there aren't, um, you know. So here we have on page 83, I think, is all the muss here, uh, you know. Yeah. It's easy to let up in the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Of course it is. We are headed for trouble if we do. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Maintenance of it. Now, it, it thinks we have one already, see? <laughs> and you get to this point in the book. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. It's just the same you know, it's the same as our real purpose. There it is. We must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. All right. So, you know, the proper use of the will, because we have that free will. We have that free will. And... um to some extent, we've become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital, life-giving is the word vital, vital sixth sense. And when that sixth sense talks to me, I now listen. I was a girl I sponsored. Her name was Jan. She was beautiful. She always wanted to work for Eric Clapton. She was circling Eric Clapton. Circle. She never got really. She got close, but not that close. <laughs> and, and she had this beautiful long red hair. And she was six feet tall, and uh, just feisty. Um, and she was standing at the top of the um, the aisle, which went up um, at our big meeting. And I was sitting there doing my commitment with the baskets, making sure everybody had their baskets to pass. And I looked up at her, and the voice said, go give her a hug, you're never going to see her again. And I didn't do it. And she had a stroke that night. I listened to that that voice now. I listened to that voice. Um, it doesn't talk to me all the time, you know. It doesn't say, you know, turn left, turn right, you know. It, it You know, it's not like, you know... My sponsor said, if you can get all, your head down to two voices, you got it made, you know. It's, then it's just schizophrenia. It's not insanity. Um, and, you know, that brings me to something, too, is that, you know, we can't, this is, this is about alcoholism. I don't think we can help everybody. Um, I've sponsored people that I think, you know, weren't alcoholics, and we go, by the time I'm, through the steps a little bit with them, we can kind of see that they're not, that they're not grasping it. They're not growing. They're not, it's not ringing in them. It's not ringing true. Um, and, you know, we found the right place for them to go. And it's great. But, you know, my husband's son was, um, he, he went into Desert Storm and he came out uh, not the same person. 
and he treated himself with alcohol because he actually had become a schizophrenic. And he treated himself with alcohol, but Alcoholics Anonymous didn't work for him. But he needed to treat himself with something. And he became homeless in Santa Barbara. So if you're going to get some, become homeless, go to Santa Barbara. It's, they treat you pretty good up there. Um, so, um, But he didn't see him for years. He was last thing he told his mother, um, I'm walking to San Francisco, and he left the house. And nobody saw him for a number of years. And they started to wonder where he was and try to talk to people and put up pictures. And, and so somebody thought they had seen him around Oxnard, that area, Santa Barbara area. So he started going, my husband would go up there, and this was something he couldn't even talk about. It was so painful. It's his only child. And he would go up there, and he would find um, churches, and he would find, you know, he would put the pictures up and the name and to contact and that kind of thing. And and then one day I got a call from a lady in a church, and she said, I think your son sits under the streetlight at night and reads at this bus stop. So I think that could be your son. So he went up there the next night, and that was his son. And so his son took him to where he had been living, which was in a field, um, trusted him enough to take him there. Um, and we found him a place that was a nonprofit, and he was doing great. And he was doing um, landscaping, and he had a cell phone, and... Um, he came for Thanksgiving, and it was Easter, actually. And my son had seen him all buff as a Marine, right? All buff as a Marine. And then he comes, and he's skinny and can't make a decision. He had no buttons on his coat. I said, I'll sew buttons on your coat. Pick out some buttons. And I gave him a box of buttons, and it took him two hours to pick out the buttons. And, and, and my son was like, what happened? You know, he didn't, he didn't understand and he taught her to play a video game, and so they, you know, kind of got got some time together, and then he disappeared again. And we would get calls from the AA members up there because everybody knew Kenny, and and uh, you know Casey's friends they plays golf with up there, a lot of golfing guys in the program. And we would get a call, and, and he spotted again. So then Casey would go up there and kind of start walking where the homeless are, and they called him shoeless because he never wore shoes. And he found him um, and, you know, tried to bring him in again, and it didn't work. And we would go up there when he would have a sighting or, you know, we'd bring him blanket, and my husband would take the shoes off his feet and give them to his son and couldn't help him. We couldn't help him. He wasn't an alcoholic. And um, he, he passed away from stomach cancer. He was living on the beach. And he was a viable human being, but, you know, we couldn't help him. And that was like just broke my heart about I wished we could have helped him. But he wasn't an alcoholic. Once he had gotten the proper medicine, he was doing okay, but then he didn't take his medicine anymore. That was a big lesson. You know, we would have done anything for him. But, um, you know, we tried. We tried to get him in the right spot. He didn't want to stay. So that was just a big lesson in that, you know, alcohol doesn't do for everybody what it did for us. And I'm just so grateful I know what I am. When I sit with you and it makes sense in a world that doesn't make sense out there to me at all much, I know I belong here. It just verifies that I'm an alcoholic. 
it just verifies to my core that this is this is my job here now is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And to uh, to keep growing up. Growing up was so hard. I geez, I don't know about you, but there you know, there's been times I dug in my heels and you know, it's not been um too comfortable when I do that because um I like to stay flexible. I like to stay teachable. And I am in pain when I am brittle and I'm not willing to change. But that pain has to take me to the point of going, okay, <laughs> surrender it, you know, surrender, surrender here, you know, surrender at the, you know, at Blue Licks, you know, surrender in LA, surrender on the road, you know. I mean, I, that, that sweet little old lady that was ahead of me and I'm pissed off at her and I don't want go I don't like this job and but I had just had my morning meditation and everything was fine. <laughs> and then I get out on the road and somebody cuts me off. And I look at her and I go, you know, I think it was like a valiant and she's got little blue hair and she's listening to something with her windows down that's like elevator music and she cuts me off to get in the lane to get on the freeway. And I'm thinking you should be banned from 8 to 10 every morning to be on the road. You should make your doctor's appointment at noon. You know, and I'm like already like sweating and, and she gets on the road and she goes and, and so then I cut her off at the on-ramp and then I cut everybody else off and I get to my off-ramp and, and I'm just ready to go home. <laughs> and I gotta go put in a day's work and I've just let this the power that, you know, I gave all the power to this righteousness, you know, this judgment and this righteousness, which wore me out by the time I got to my off-ramp. And guess who was ahead of me on the off-ramp? <laughs> Every hair in place, not a bead of sweat on her, still smiling, still listening to her music. And I just, I had a laugh. Man, there's a lot of ways through the forest, you know. And she took the easy way that morning. I'm out in the brambles, you know. So Br'er Rabbit can find me. I don't even know, but um, yeah. So was I God conscious then? Was I present? No. Um, I have a lot of little exercises during the day when I'm I'm not feeling in my body all the way. And you know, we all have those days. I'm just somewhere else, and I have to go. Where are your feet? Okay, where are your feet? Where are your feet? My first sponsor said, "Make your feet your friend. Your head is broken." You can't correct your life with a broken brain. It's broken. Your feet are your friend. Your feet will get you where you need to go. It'll take you to a meeting. Your feet will go to your sponsor's house. Your head says, they don't understand. I'm out of here. Your head says, yeah, they're nice, but I don't really need that. But my feet know where to go. So I, you know, I still pedicure and take care of my feet. I have nice feet. I love my feet. They're my friend. So I have to have exercises during the day. Where are your feet right now? And it brings me back to the present. Because in the present, everything's okay. In the present, everything's okay. You know, Sandy used to say, you know, to his babies having a problem, go to a movie and call me when it's over, you know, and... After the movie, so oh, that was a great movie. And listen, what about that problem? What problem? You know, it's like just diversion works sometimes. You know, it just works. And um, so, getting through the day, yeah, I, you know, I'm not always, you know, God conscious, but I have that phone ringing. I have girls that I'm responsible for. I take it very seriously being responsible for somebody's sponsorship. You know, 
Janet was responsible for my life when I didn't care much about my life. And as I've gone through life, Ginny was responsible for my life. And, you know, they were responsible because they were there for me. They, they made a commitment to me, and they were there for me. And I had to do my part. You know, it's that, you, you know, that thousand-pound telephone, you know, sometimes when things were bad. And, you know, I'd show up at her house sometimes. And she'd always make me wash her dishes. It was like, was that an exercise or what? I didn't quite understand that. But, you know, so, yeah, prayer and meditation start my day. And um, Brian was talking to me about that he lets God in the car with him. Um, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the most, this is an aside, but I think it's one of the most spiritual things you can do with a newcomer is just tell them to get in the car. Get in the car. We're going, we're going to a panel. Get in the car. We're going to a meeting. Get in the car. Yeah. And even when I was had with that messy divorce and I was mad as hell at everybody and I had to go speak somewhere in Sacramento and so I put my baby in the car, my babysitter in the car and two of my girls I didn't, you know, some of the married women when I went through that was like, you know, rats from a burning ship. They were gone. You know, no, she's not married anymore. I, I can't talk to her, you know, and... Um, but I had two crazy ones stay, and um, so I, and I still sponsor them today. But you know, their eyes were rolling, and they didn't know any better. I said, "Get in the car," and they got in the car, and there were there we were, all of us in the car, and going to a meeting. And they said, "Well, you know, maybe we're on the road like two hours already." Well, where where are we going? <laughs> like Sacramento's like five six hours, right? Uh, can we go to the bathroom? No, hold it. You know, it's just like. Ugh. <laughs> But I learned so much from everybody by just getting in the car and going to these panels. And, you know, I don't remember the panels or what was said, but I remember the people. You know, I remember the, the bonding we had in the car. And and those were really special, special times. Um, and, yeah, that's that's it. You know, a car full of people going somewhere else, alcoholics. Oh, my God, don't do a caravan with four or five women following each other because you, it's like you're never on the same bathroom schedule. It's insane. We went across Louisiana to uh, one of the other sites from New Orleans to, and it was like, oh, everybody. It seemed like we were stopping every half hour. It was crazy, but. But yeah, so, you know, guy gets in the car with Brian in the morning. What I, what I do when I wake up in the morning is my dog thinks her name is God. So I, she can't wait for me to open my eyes. And she's part Jack Russell, so she leaps around and leaps around and, and she waits for me to go, God, God, God. God, God, God. Such, that's what wakes me up in the morning is, is that beautiful energy and love. Unconditional. Unconditional. So when I can start my day like that, and I can have my quiet time, and I can get right, and I can look at my... I love looking at my day, my 24 hours before. I love looking at that because I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about me and my motives. I learn a lot about what happened. I learn a lot about why... I don't know if anybody's ever read this, the mental diet, seven-day mental diet, but... Um, Emmett Fox, I don't know, it's a, it's a non, that's not conference approved, but, you know, I, it's okay. It's okay to do things like this. It's okay to read other things, spiritual books. It's okay if you want to go to church. It's okay, all of that, you know. Bill said, find your, find your path. Find your path to God. Find your path to your higher power. Find your path to, you know, you know, 
Howard be thy name. I mean, I knew a lady who was, uh, that was Howard was her God. Howard be thy name. And so that was her God was Howard. And so, you know, it doesn't matter. As long as it's not you. You know, as long as it's something that you can, you can, you can be real in front of. You can, you can, you can, you know it's, it's on your side. This power is on my side, and it flows through all of us. It's that grace that's there. And my awareness to have that grace be to give me the strength to continue on this path to help somebody else is, it's phenomenal. The spiritual, this whole program is spiritual. People talk about the spiritual aspect. The whole program is a spiritual program. And what is that? It's, it's, it's the quote that said, you know, oh yeah, it was, and came to believe, and I love this quote, and I found it again. I believe we are sober and alive for only one reason. God has a job for us to do. And maybe your job today is washing the cups. Maybe your job tomorrow is answering the phones at central office. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but maybe your job is to Adopt a newcomer. Even if you're not sponsoring them, adopt a newcomer. Take that person out to coffee, call them and see how they're doing. If you're not sponsoring, just adopt somebody. You know, and I I I don't even know how to tell you how I got a video tonight of a one of the girls that I sponsor in Berlin and I had set up I had gone over there and I had set up on her birthday because she was so kind to me and did so much for me when I was over there that we were sitting in this restaurant and she said, oh, I like these chairs. I've been wanting to sit in these chairs. So I found these chairs online and her ex-boyfriend, our good friends, took the video. Today was her birthday and she had this big box. She had said, I've never had a box this big before and she's had a lot of amends with her family. And she's made great strides in the last year. Now she's sponsoring for people. And it's just such a joy. It's such a joy to watch her grow up in AA and want to give. And she opened this box and those chairs were in there. And she was just like blown away. And I just, you know, I just love doing things for people. Whether they know I'm doing for, for them or not. You know, that I told you my sponsor said do something nice for somebody without getting found out. That was in that little Just for Today pamphlet. And if you tell someone, then you got to go do something else because they found out. <laughs> and that was a real quest to do something every day, you know. So, you know, so continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go sit in the bathroom and ask God at once to that, you know, that person I'm working with and whatever it is. But... Boy, I had a hard time at, at, at offices because I felt like an alien. I felt like an alien. And I had to go through the mire and the muck and the, you know, the judgment and the, you know, the being over, you know, being, being somebody they weren't looking at to, to, to promote anymore because I think, you know, at a certain age, they just kind of look at something like, okay, well, she should just retire. And, and if she won't retire, we're going to move them all to Texas, and then we'll retire her, and we'll we'll give her a package because she's been here a long time, and you know it's a it's a change of life thing, so she can get all her little things that happen when you're a certain age, and 
you know, my certain age, I'm on water skis. I had a birthday and I'm on water skis, you know. I, uh, my husband's ashes are all over the world. I bungee jumped in New Zealand with him. I jumped out of a plane with him. I went to top of the Eiffel Tower with him. I'm just gonna keep on moving, you know. He's, he's, it's, it's just something that I wanna do is to take his ashes all over the world. All the golf courses he's been to, I got, I got him at Wingfoot where he got his eagle. And um, I got out there with my friend who was, you know, a golf team coach, and he happened to be there, and he takes me out. I said, I remember right where Casey got his eagle. And so I'm looking at these toadstools, and I think that's a good place to do the ashes. And I walk up, and I step on something, and it's a beautiful yellow feather. And my husband used to bring me feathers from the golf course. And I thought, he's here. He's here. And I've got, you know, there's a lot to a human being, and so the love story continues. And But, you know, I've, I've taken him all over with me, and I, I can be a little bit of a daredevil. I like it. It's, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go out, you know, whimpering. <laughs> I want to go out in a blaze of glory, whatever it is, and, you know, whatever it is. You know, I hope I live to 106, but, you know, I hope I'm water skiing at 100. That's all i got to tell you. So, you now my friend says, don't underestimate the cosmetic value of sobriety, you know. And I quit smoking in 1980, so it's like, you know, I, uh, I have my vices, though. You know, I do have my vices. <sighs> carrot cake and the heat over at that thing, I mean, it put me in a coma. It was the best carrot cake, but it was carrot cake, and my husband loved that carrot cake, so I said, i got to have it. And Brian hardly put his fork in there. I was just going for it, you know. <laughs> I think I went into a coma, but... Um, that's okay. Um, you know, and just to be present, to be kind. I remember being on a plane and my mother had just died and I got to, you know, I got to hold her and I got to, oh, it's just, my mother was fabulous. She had an episode on Thursday at 95 and was gone Saturday afternoon. And um, she was in a beautiful place and I got to get back to Madison and be with her. And and um, I was really missing her because we were tight, 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 tight. You know, I sent her flowers every month. I called her every week. Um, I visited as much as I could. Sometimes if I was in the area, I'd surprise her and show up. And um, those are some of my most favorite moments. And and I was on a plane, and I was kind of irritated because I, I needed the space, and there was a seat, and then this family gets on late, right? And I thought, oh, the biggest one's going to sit by me, I bet. But no, it was the little tiny lady. They didn't speak much English. The daughter did, and they all kind of sat in little seats, so they got on the plane late and, but they kept the plane for them. And so this little lady's sitting there, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm not in a mood. I'm just So I'm being nice. I'm not doing any. I'm just being nice and kind of staying in myself. And um, I noticed that the flight attendant um, has to tell her to, you know, put her seatbelt on. So I had to help her get her seatbelt on. She didn't speak any English, and she was, you know, looked a little timid. And then, you know, I put her bag under the seat for her, and, and she kind of kept giving me these little blessings all the time. And and then um, the plane took off, and I saw she was kind of scared. And um, I just, you know, I didn't do anything, but I noticed she was tense. And then I coughed. So she's digging in her little purse, and she gets me a cough drop. And, and she, yeah, I tell her thank you, and then she's blessing me. And then I want to cough again, and I'm like, I'm not coughing again. <laughs> 
And then the, 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 you know, the flight attendant comes by and there's do coffee or water or whatever. And she kept going like this, pointing at her eyes. I didn't under, and I said, I think she wants coffee. <laughs> so she got coffee and she, she looked at me and went like I knew which one, blessing me some more. And it's like, quit blessing me. I don't want any more blessings. I'm in a bad mood. And <laughs> so then she got cream and sugar and she was very happy with all that. And, um, I did cough again, and I got another cough drop. It was like, oh. So then we're getting ready to land, and, you know, we pushed her stuff under, and and uh, I could tell she was um, tense again. And there's been this man working on his computer by the window doing his business stuff, you can tell, not paying too much attention to us at all. But I going down, I could tell she was nervous, and I reached over and held her hand, and it was like my mother. It was like my mother. My mother was that kind of person, just kind and loving and in her own, you know, way gave everybody blessings. You know, she gave, she always, she would always say, may God be with you when people left, you know. So she was my, and the, even the man in the window must have felt something with his, you know, work. He turned over and just gave us big smiles. So that was so unexpected. And there's all those little moments all day long to connect, to connect to another soul that's here on this planet, to, you know, this spirit inside of us that I don't think ever really extinguishes. I think existence continues. Um, you know, when my husband uh, passed away, it was, um, it was, he went into hospice on Wednesday and he was gone Friday night. Um, Everybody around me is two and a half days. I'm hoping that's what I get, two and a half days. Um, I had a cat, two and a half days. You know, it's just like, oh, two and a half days. But people that came, his sponsor came and crawled in bed with him and held him. And that was kind of the last moments that my husband was verbal, was with his sponsor. And uh, people came, and we were waiting for his His brother got there, waiting for his sister was stuck in New York on the tarmac. They were all hold or something, and we were telling him that she's coming, and, you know, we were letting him know exactly where. And he was, I sat on, the, on his pillow, the back pillow that he would sleep on, and he leaned into me, and the room was full of various people and Alcoholics Anonymous and his family coming. My son got there. He was out of town working. He got there in time. Uh, and there was nothing but love in that room. Nothing but love. And then I said, we got to get a blues picker. My husband loved the blues. Hour later, this newcomer shows up with his beautiful guitar and sits at the end of the bed and starts picking the blues. And um, my uh, friend's <coughs> husband, who became a Tibetan monk, it's a long story. <laughs> we had Sister Sheila there. She was guarding the stairs, and anybody who could come up, so too many people wouldn't come up. Sister Sheila, the nun, you had to listen to her. And people were online from all over the world. We had friends in Australia, friends in Sweden, friends all over the world sending messages. And they would come up and give me the messages, and I would whisper in his head because he was leaning into me. Um, and Vic was there, and there was somebody who came in and started crying. And Vic very kindly just 
walked her out and said, don't bring your pain in here. And my son heard him say, bring only love. So my son made a sign on the door that said, bring only love. It was a group effort. The whole thing was a beautiful group effort to send him off. And that night, um, you know, we carried him out in linen. It was just, uh, said a lot of prayers. And that night, three of us laid in, three girls, we laid in that bed where a man had just transitioned. And there was nothing but peace in that room. Nothing but peace. There was no struggle. And I thought, wow, I I didn't know that a death could be so beautiful. And it really taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. Um, There were more things that happened, but I don't need to go into all of that, that were magical, mystical. I don't know. But I think with this, this... openness that you get from cleaning out all the blockage between you and God, between you and each other, between you and love, because that's my God is love, that there's unlimitless, it's an unlimitless load. It's an unlimitless load of love and learning and teaching and humility and fun and connection, which is what I was missing my whole life. Alcohol (coughs) connected me to the spirit. And there was nothing that was going to replace that until I came to you. And we are lucky enough to sit here. Um, So, yeah, carry the principles in, in all my affairs. I have to work these principles in all my affairs, whether you're watching or not, because I live here. I live here. I live here. And I need to know... I need to know where I can be better because I don't like wasting the day. Um, And, you know, I read a lot of things, and one of the guys I like to read is an English guy named Blake who was a mystic. And he um, went to India, and he was a writer, and he needed inspiration, and he was, you know, a poet, and... And he needed inspiration, and he wrote about mystical things. So he went to India, and he was sitting on the Ganges, and they had, um, the sun went down, and he saw these uh, boats on fire going down the Ganges. And the Ganges is huge. It's a huge, huge river. In fact, some of Casey's ashes went to the Ganges with a friend of mine who was over there and had a ceremony for me. And he was there on on the banks, and he thought, what are these boats on fire that are going down? There's all these boats on fire. And a local came by, and he said, you know, can you tell me what's going on here? And he said, yeah, it's it, today's the day that we can send our, our dead off down the Ganges. And so we get to do this every so often, and this is the day that we get to put them in a boat we get to put all the things they love in there, their flowers, their food, their books, whatever they love in the boat with them. And I thought, what would I have in the boat with me? I'd have a big book. Definitely have a big book. You know, I'd have probably pictures of all the pets I loved. And yes, I've made my amends to the pet kingdom. Uh, if you're sponsored by me and you're whining, you, you can't have a dog, you got to go get a cat. You know, and I don't like cats. And then one showed up at her door about two weeks later. How'd you do that? You know, it's like, 
just, you know, so, yeah, I probably have some of that. I'd have, I'd have, um, you know, pictures of the people I'd love. I'd, I'd have, you know, some of my favorite flowers. I don't know what I'd have in there. I thought about it. What would I want in my boat? And he said, we put everything they love, and they're wrapped in linen, and then they light the boat on fire, and they say their prayers, and they push them down the Ganges. And he thought, wow, that's quite a, quite a thing. And he was sitting there and just kind of amazed at all these lives going by. All these lives going by that were, were done here on this earth. And then he got his inspiration. And what it said to him was, when you throw me on the pyre of life and you give me all the things I love in my boat and you light me on fire and you push me down the Ganges, may I be all used up. And that's what I'm striving for. That rings true for me. So... I love the humility that was written in this book so many ways. And as it says in the end of A Vision for You, our book is meant to be suggestive only. <laughs> well, that's no ego, is it? I love it. <laughs> we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you for having me. I am changed because I've met you. Thank you.